week before last, I was riding home from Midway Airport, and I asked my Lyft driver, do you also drive for Uber? And he said, no, they're bad people. I said, because they don't, they don't pay enough? He said, yes. Lyft people, bad too. He said, how much you pay for this ride? $60? I said, 64 He said, well, I show you when we get there. I get $21.62. I said, wow, I'm thinking to myself, two-thirds is not coming to him. I said, where does the rest go? And he said, to rich people, rich people. I pay the gas. I pay the tolls. I drive my car. And what do I get? Nothing. So I gave him a $20 tip to help him out. And later that week, I did the math. So it was after 11 o'clock at night here in Wheaton, so there's no chance he's going to get another fare, pick up another fare. And to get back to where he started would take him two hours. One hour to bring me home and one hour to go on back. Which means that he's getting $10.81 per hour. Okay, but then you have to subtract his expenses, which you just talked about. So, round trip mileage from Midway to my house and back, 72 miles. At the current IRS mileage allowance rate of 65 and a half cents, which is the real cost to run your car, his car, means it cost him $47 to earn $21. He's actually losing $26. Now, I gave him the tip, so his loss turned out to be $6. But think about it. He spent two hours at work, and he lost money. He's working, and he's getting further behind. Then consider that Uber, Lyft, and other gig economy corporations, large corporations, spent over $200 million, $200 million to promote Proposition 22 in California which keeps them from having to offer health care and benefits to their drivers. If you're worried about Uber having spent so much money, please don't. Their market cap is $92 billion. Friends, what we increasingly see in America is not a country where it's the haves and the have-nots. It's a country where it's the haves and the can't-haves, the kept-from-having. Scott Galloway, a prophet NYU, says that since the early 70s, the bottom 99% of Americans, which is all of us here, saw our wages go up about 18%, which sounds good. But those few people in the top 1% saw their wages go up 140%. Not 18%, 140%. As Galloway says, the rich didn't just get richer, they got stratospherically richer. And in our large companies, CEOs of our S&P 500 companies now earn 351 times what the worker makes. When I was a kid growing up, it was 21 times. Okay, so take whatever you make and multiply it by 351. So if you were, say, working and earning $40,000 a year, 
your CEO in that company is pulling down 14 million. Now you know why people today are talking about wealth inequality. Galloway asks, now how is it that the wealthiest Americans have entrenched themselves? Well, for one, they can buy elite education. There are 38 colleges and universities in this country where there are more students from the top 1% than from the bottom 60% of, of the income scale. Or try to get our minds around this factoid. Get this, poor kindergartners who have good scores, good scores, are less likely to graduate from high school or college than their affluent peers with bad grades. And our tax code favors the wealthy. The tax, for example, on, on selling stock, which better off people would be able to do, is lower than the tax on the income of the people who are working in the company. You see how that works? Okay. Now, it, Galloway sums up our era this way. He says, our nation kept winning, but our workers only got to cash in half their chips. The money started going somewhere else. And it is into a nation just like this that the prophet Amos walks and he says, God's got something to say to you. We do well to listen. Now, a refresher for those of you who may not have been here last week or a refresher for those who were. Amos is a middle-class businessman. He's managing a sheep herding operation as well as orchards of fig trees. He's living in a country named Judah, about 670-ish years before Christ. Excuse me, 760 years. I reversed it. And God calls him to take a message, leave his country behind. He's actually being called to be a missionary and go north to Israel, separate country, and deliver God's message to them. So he does it. And when he gets there to Israel, he notices three things. The first thing Amos notices is the incredible wealth. It's overwhelming. Amos says in chapter 5, verse 11, you build beautiful stone houses. You plant lush vineyards. There are all these lovely courtyards with, you know, manicured gardens and banners. It's, it's really it's phenomenal. Archaeologists have confirmed that during this time period, about 700 or so years before Christ, Israel's making a killing selling oil, wine, and horses to Egypt and Assyria. So the home prices are way up. The army's strong. Everything's going very, very well. Now, the next thing Amos notices after the incredible wealth is the idolatry. In the city of Bethel, he goes there, there's a huge temple which was to enshrine a golden calf and... The people are worship that. They call it the God who brought us up out of Egypt. Okay. But in case that's not enough to keep people's interest, they have added other gods. There's Baal, the god of storms. He, he's clutching thunderbolts in his hand. And Asherah, the goddess of fertility. And Anat, the god of war. And to help everybody worship and keep up attendance, there are prostitutes. So Amos stands up and says, verse 4, Now this is what the Lord says to the family of Israel. Come back to me and live. 
as if he's saying, remember, I was the one who actually rescued you from slavery in Egypt. I did all that. Don't worship at the pagan altars at Bethel. Don't go to the shrines. Come back to the Lord and live. Otherwise, he will roar through Israel like a fire, devouring you completely. Your gods in Bethel won't be able to quench the flames. What Amos is telling them is these gods that are so attractive to you are actually like counterfeit money. They're like Confederate money or something, but counterfeit's even better. They look good, but there's a key difference between them and the real God. These counterfeit gods are all about making sure you have a high standard of living, that you have plenty of sex, that you have success when you go to war. They make you self-centered. They actually are, are affirming your, your selfish drives and they're enabling you to spend money on yourself. Hashtag blessed by bail. And then it allows you to take advantage of or ignore people who have less than you. Is it your fault they're not as blessed? Now, the real God will not let anybody get by with that. He says very clearly, care for the poor. Release people's debts. Help the widow. Look out for the orphan. Protect the foreigner. That's real worship to him. And nobody should try to bring him some kind of worship, some song or whatever, if they're not doing that. So Amos notices the wealth, and he notices the idolatry. And the third thing he notices is the injustice. He speaks for God in verse 11. You trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. Who sets the rent? The wealthy landlord. Who sets the taxes? The wealthy government officials. You get it. Of the many things you and I might love God for. One is how passionately he takes the side of the person who's struggling. The person who really doesn't know how it's all going to come together this month. He cares for the least, the left out, the locked out. On a podcast for the Center for Peace and Justice, which our bishop, Todd Hunter, helped launch, Dr. Jamar Tisby points out, he said, many people think racism is primarily attitudinal. White people don't like black people. He says, listen, that's the least of our troubles. He said, what slavery began as was not only a race-based system, but it was chattel slavery in which people were property. Property. Slave owners were able to maximize their profits by reducing their labor costs to next to zip. Does this sound vaguely familiar? Okay. So slaves, anyway, could be bought and sold like you would buy a plow or sell a plow. You could leave them in your will to your kids. Well, hundreds of years of that, followed by decades of Jim Crow laws, have left a staggering economic gap. Actually, it affects all areas, health and so on between black people and white people in this country. For every dollar that a white home has, a black, similar black home has 12 cents. 
which helps explain, it's part of the reason why a black mom who's giving birth is three times more likely to die than her counterpart. And walking hand in hand with this financial injustice is the legal injustices so that poor people cannot get relief. Verse, look at verse 7. You twist justice, making it a bitter pill for the oppressed. You treat the righteous like dirt. And go on down to verse 10. How you hate honest judges. Because you despise people who tell the truth. And verse 12. You oppress good people by taking bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the court. The verdict was already set at the country club during a round of golf before this poor person ever got there seeking justice. Okay, now in our days, there are various ways that poor people don't get all the justice they deserve. One is they cannot afford to hire the elite lawyer. They get a public defender. Well, from what I've heard, your public defender might be amazing, but they might not be very good and may not be able to, you know, the elite lawyer can run circles around them. Second, they cannot afford cash bail. Well, cash bail, it, it was a great idea because a defendant might rot in jail while they're being held for their trial for months before the court date actually comes around. You know how that works. It's a long time. And so you can put down cash bail and get back to your life waiting for the court date. Of course, if you flee and don't show up for your court date, you lose the cash. That's the way it works. But if you're poor, can you put down cash and walk away? You don't have it. So what does that mean? It means you sit in jail waiting for your court case to come, and in the meantime, you lose a job. You get evicted from an apartment. If you own a home, maybe now that is being foreclosed upon. So for various, uh, several U.S. states, including Illinois just this past week, are limiting or ending cash bail. Now, there are still some challenges to work out, but I think Amos would like the impulse. Because what that does is it provides similar justice for those with less. Now, Amos calls out idolatry. He calls out injustice. And one of the insights that we may take with us, I hope, is that those two things always go together. You find idolatry, you will find injustice. You find injustice, you will find idolatry. Every time. For example, let's, let's take this fact that a CEO in the S&P 500 earns in a day and a half what their worker earns in the entire year. Okay. What's fueling that? Idolatry. The service of two gods that are not the real God, but we would all know their names. Okay? The first counterfeit God is ego which tells that executive that is so reasonable. In fact, it's actually, it's low. You are worth so much more than that. Second, there's an idol called prosperity. So all the shareholders worship that idol so they don't care what the CEO makes as long as the share price stays up. Now, how do we apply this intense message from Amos 
Uh, as I've wrestled with this, here, here are my pastoral suggestions. And it, it is tricky, I know, to apply Amos because he's talking both to a nation and the people of God. So we can apply it in either place, our churches or our country. But first thing is change our glasses and second, change, check our Venmo transfers. Change our glasses, check our Venmo transfers. Or if you're still using a checkbook, check your checkbook. Here's what I mean. As we read Amos, we start to take off our usual American glasses and we start to put on Amos glasses. And with Amos glasses, we start to see what he sees. We start seeing injustice where before it might have gone by us or we wouldn't have stopped to do anything about it. Elward Ellis was a a campus chaplain out at Norfolk State University and in Virginia, and he got a, a phone call at 2 a.m. one morning because Willie, one of his student leaders in the campus fellowship, was on his way f- home from an outreach concert late at night, stopped at an outdoor supermarket, which Norfolk is warm enough, they have, picked up some chips and a soda, and the line was fairly long, so while he was standing in line, he opened up the, popped open the bag of chips and started eating some of them and a cop came over and arrested him. So it was now 2 a.m., Willie was in jail, and so the chaplain Ellis went down and said, look, you guys, what is going on? And they said, well, it's concealment. There's a law called concealment. You can't, you know. They said he had money. He was in the line. Like, nobody does this. Nobody even knows this is a law. They wouldn't listen. So chaplain Ellis posts bail for Willie, and takes him home, but he's furious because now this kid's got a record. He's got such a promising future, and now he's got to deal with that. So the next Sunday, he's guest preaching at another church in town, and he tells this story. And after the service, a a bunch of moms in the church are out in the foyer, and they're talking to each other, and they're like, oh my gosh, every time I'm in the grocery line with a kid who's squirmy and going crazy, I will pop open the box of crackers that's in my cart. Like, what is happening here? But they're white. So they don't get arrested for concealment. So they go as a group to the manager of the market. And they say, this is insane. This cannot go on. Well, pretty soon, the regional manager calls Chaplain Ellis and says, "Uh, look, this got really blown out of proportion. And um, we've decided not to press charges and they sent Willie a fruit basket. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. If if we're wearing American glasses, we go, that is so wrong, and we go out of church, and we get in our car. We wear Amos glasses, and we go, and that is so wrong, and I'm going to do something. That cannot be allowed to stand in this community. Are you willing to put on that kind of glasses because when you start to see it, you'll see it a lot. And it'll change who you advocate for, who you, how you vote, what you think about issues, who you contact and say, this is not okay. It'll change how you look. Instead of driving at what you look at, you, instead of driving through town and noticing the house that's super nice, nicer than yours, and, and, 
kind of wondering why you have so little in comparison, you will instead drive through town and see somebody whose house is much less than yours and wonder why you have so much. So put on the Amos glasses. And the second thing to do is to check the Venmo transfers. Where's the money flowing in my life? God apparently is noticing. So are there signs in, in my monthly and yearly spending that would show that I've taken to heart his words about caring for the poor? Is that, is that there? Okay, so our church, we, want, we worry about this and work at this at Savior. Uh, every month, we support People's Resource Center and Jubilee Village and World Relief because they're serving our neighbors in need. They're doing it very well. And we take up a Good Friday gift, so it's not just our worship, it's our worship welded with the worship of obeying God in this matter, caring for the poor. We support the Outreach Christmas Store, and I just want to affirm all of you, you, you give so generously to things like this, and I love it. Well, as individuals, we can do the same thing. So, for example, let's say you are blessed to be able to go out to eat. Then take care of that server. If you've read Five and Dime by Barbara Ehrenreich, it will change how you tip. Um, if you are blessed to say to have a, a woman who comes to clean your house, um, and one week you say, you know what, I don't need you next week because uh, I've got a commitment and I'm going to be away or whatever. Well, guess what? Just because you're away doesn't mean her bills are going away. So pay that person anyway. So you have to think about what it's like for them. And God sees that and he honors that way of looking. The God who speaks through Amos to care for the poor is on the side of the poor and he's on the side of those who help the poor. As Amos promises, oh, do what is good and run from evil so that you may live. Then the Lord God of heaven's armies will be your helper. Amen.